0: How were Greeks and Romans brought to their knees by something that you could have on toast? Join me as I talk about mad honey on the Ancient History Hound podcast. Hi, my name's Neil and welcome to the Ancient History Hound podcast. This is another shorter episode which allows me a bit more flexibility when it comes to releasing content. And in fact, I've been sitting on this topic for a while, and the shorter format is perfect to talk about a couple of nasty instances involving mad honey. Central to all of this is a book by Adrian Mayer. It's called Greek Fire, Poison Arrows and Scorpion Bombs. As well as being just a great read, this book was a bit of inspiration to me because it proved that you can find unusual instances and topics from antiquity and make them relevant and interesting. This, in fact, has been a guiding ethos to my podcast and website, in fact, all of my content. Sometimes you need to walk the roads well-trodden, but there is always room for more niche stuff. If you want to say hi, you can do so on Twitter, where I'm at AncientBlogger, and the Twitter specifically for the podcast is at Hound Ancient. There's also my website, AncientBlogger.com, my Insta and TikTok, which are both AncientBlogger. One last thing, it does get a bit nasty with this one, so perhaps don't listen while you're eating especially if you're eating anything with honey in it. In 401 BC, Xenophon was marching his troops to the Black Sea. It's one of the most famous marches of antiquity, and his account of it, the Anabasis, or March of the Ten Thousand, is a riveting account of what happens when you're in a mercenary army and it all goes wrong. To give some context, Xenophon was in an army which had been hired by Cyrus the Younger to be used against his brother Artaxerxes II, the Persian king. The two sides met deep in Persian territory north of modern Baghdad and the battle ended as a draw, however Cyrus was killed in the fighting. The army was now horribly exposed. What followed was a mad dash to get out of enemy territory and to the safety of the Black Sea, where the Greek colonies there might give safe haven. On the way back, the army ended up in Colchis, which is sort of modern-day Georgia on the southeast corner of the Black Sea. Xenophon's army camped on a hillside and the only complaint was the number of bees everywhere. The upside to this downside on the hillside was that lots of bees meant lots of honey and the men helped themselves to what must have been a welcome treat. Now, let Xenophon describe what happened next. Begin quote. The Greeks ascended the mountain and camped in a number of villages which were well stocked with food. There was nothing remarkable about them except that there were great numbers of beehives in these parts and all the soldiers who ate the honey went off their heads and suffered from vomiting and diarrhoea and were unable to stand upright. Those who had only eaten a little behaved as though they were drunk, and those who had eaten a lot were like mad people. Some actually died. End quote. Xenophon noted it wasn't until the third or fourth day that those who'd eaten the honey were able to get up and move. I'm going to get into the symptoms and effects a bit later on, but just consider the peril that this placed an army in. It wasn't enough that it must have been a horrible experience, but to incapacitate soldiers in an army might have grave consequences, and my next incidents with Honey very much evidences this. In the first century BC, around 65 BC, Pompey the Great, a Roman general you might have heard of, was prosecuting a war against Mithridates of Pontus. This had initially been a small kingdom, in what's now modern-day Turkey, and specifically the northern part. As such, it sat on the south coast of the Black Sea, and it had taken the lands of Colchis as part of an expansion. Mithridates is perhaps a character best unwrapped in his own episode. To put it short, he was fascinating, and at points, feels almost invented. I know I've praised Adrian Mayer, but Adrian has also written a book about Mithridates, which is definitely worth reading as well. It's called The Poison King, because... That was what Mithridates was very famous for, amongst other things. This second instance is mentioned fleetingly by Strabo, a 1st century BC historian whose work Geography described places and people. In it, he commented on the Heptacomite, who were one of a number of peoples who lived in the mountains around Colchis. All of these are described as savage by Strabo, and the Heptacomatae were the worst of them all. He also noted how they cut down three maniples of Pompey's men. But how did they do that exactly? Just before I go further, there's a technicality to the language used here. A maniple was a unit of men, around 120. But it was a unit which, by this point, had been replaced by a cohort. And a cohort measured 480 men. So it's unclear if Strabo meant to write cohort, in which case you're looking at around a 1,000 or so, this factors in the fact that most Roman army units were understaffed, or if he's counting using the old system and we're looking at around 300, or even somewhere in between, as I've seen the number 600 given. In any case, it's a good few hundred men who ended up being killed. I'm also going to pause so you can listen all about the Casting Through Ancient Greece podcast. In his final days, Alexander the Great's generals asked him, Who should succeed him? Alexander's answer, the strongest. Taken literally, this would see the close of the classical Greek age, an age thousands of years in the making. Join me, Mark Selick, as I go back to retell the story of Ancient Greece in my series Casting Through Ancient Greece. We will cast our way back to its beginnings, all the way through to the spread of its culture throughout the known world, thanks to Alexander and his generals. You can listen and subscribe to the series at www.castingthroughancientgreece.com or you can listen on your favourite podcasting platform. Don't forget to follow the series over on Twitter at Casting Greece or on Facebook at Casting Through Ancient Greece. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, in case you're thinking, no adverts, these are promos I swap with other history podcasters. I'm not making money and just trying to give you some podcasting options. For us indie podcasters, this is a really good way of getting exposure to new audiences. Right, I was discussing how the Heptacomite were able to kill those Roman soldiers. Well, a marching army would often forage to complement its rations, and armies on the march required decent routes to take. This means if you wanted to ensure a marching army accidentally stumbled across lots of bowls of honey, you could make it happen quite easily. And that's what the heptacomitae did. The Romans must have thought that they'd disturbed some people foraging or collecting honey, so they ate it and then, when they were incapacitated, the Heptacomatae struck. Though Strabo only covers them briefly, he referred to how this tribe used what we would think of as ambush tactics, and this certainly fits with the approach. I appreciate that with both hindsight, and years of having the don't-accept-treats-from-strangers message drummed about me, there's an ease to consider the Romans foolish. But that's not necessarily fair. As I mentioned, eating on the hoof or foraging was part of how an army functioned back then. Both of these instances involve honey, which managed to poison a large number of men. In the case of the Greeks, it seems accidental, but it was used deliberately when the Romans were involved. The next question is, well, how do you poison honey? The answer to this is relatively simple. You allow Mother Nature to do the work. The Heptacomite didn't spend time mixing potions or ingredients. Being locals, they knew that there was a certain type of honey that you would do well to avoid, and it's here we bring in the rhododendron plant, and specifically the rhododendron ponticum, which is a species native to the area of Colchis. This plant contains something called greyanotoxins, a group of neurotoxins, and honey made from the pollen of this plant will contain these toxins. Exactly how much of the honey you need to ingest to experience symptoms depends on how present the greyanotoxins are in the honey, but one study gave a range of between 20 to 200 grams of honey being needed to cause symptoms. And let's get to those symptoms. Modern studies list the following. Hypotension, that's low blood pressure, cardiac rhythm disorders, nausea, sweating, vomiting, dizziness and impaired consciousness. Rarer symptoms include fainting, blood vision, irregular heartbeats and even heart attacks. Xenophon's account tracks well with this as he gave a range of behaviours exhibited by those who'd eaten the honey from seemingly drunk to the more serious and even death. As to when you might experience these, well, often these can kick in 20 minutes after ingesting to up to three hours after you've eaten it. And the symptoms I listed can continue between one and two days after, which is similar to Xenophon's account, as he noted that people weren't fully recovered till the third or fourth day after eating the honey. With all of this said, mad or dangerous honey wasn't completely unknown in antiquity outside of locals in cultures. In his natural history, Pliny, writing in the 1st century AD, named the honey from this area as Mad Honey because of what it could do. He even went so far as to note that those living in the area didn't sell their honey to Rome because it was just too dangerous. Interestingly, Pliny wrote about dangerous honey elsewhere and suggested that you can spot poisonous honey through colour, weight and even smell, though this doesn't seem to have any factual basis. And on that note, Pliny's cure for eating poison honey was to eat honey which bees had been suffocated in. I'm not sure if that meant the bees were present in the honey as you ate it, or not. In any case, that's what he suggested. In modern times, there is a market for mad honey, and I should add the obvious huge caveat of I'm not advising you to do this. You might be curious as to what the reason might be for buying and deliberately eating it, given what the symptoms are. In a paper titled Mad Honey Sex, Therapeutic Misadventures from an Ancient Biological Weapon, A number of Turkish men were treated for symptoms having eaten it. A survey of local beekeepers who were producing it revealed that a certain age range of men were buying it thinking it could raise their marital game, if you get my meaning. But other alternative health remedies have also cited its use as beneficial, though again there's that big caveat I mentioned. A final reason is because that it can cause hallucinations and a general sense of the other. In short, taken as many things have been throughout history in order for a high or just to get trippy. The idea of using foodstuffs to incapacitate the enemy didn't just stay with honey. In 590 BC, the Greek city of Kyra was under siege, and siegecraft at this time in Greece was largely about waiting it out. However, to speed up the process, the water supply to the city was intercepted for a short time. It was then reconnected, but now the water was infused with hellebore, a poisonous plant. This made the defenders of the city very ill and so the besiegers were able to take the city. And finally, what about wine? This was used by a Carthaginian commander in 396 BC. The man in question, Himlico, was up against a larger force and after setting up camp retreated. The enemy took the camp and celebrated helping themselves to the wine as you might expect. But of course you know it was poisoned which allowed Himlico to launch a counterattack, which was barely resisted. Well, Hopefully that hasn't put you off food or drink at the moment. I hope you enjoy these minisodes and feel free to come and find me. Just remember, it's at AncientBlogger on Twitter, Insta and TikTok and AncientBlogger.com for the website. Oh, and at HoundAncient on Twitter as well. And if you can leave a review or rate this anywhere, please do. Again, it really, really helps. Till next time, thanks for listening. Take care and keep safe.